0: Send regularly. This is a relationship. Send content regularly Mm -hmm. if you can. And that's hard to do, especially if you're a small team, but find a way to, to send content regularly. But number one is just, you need to create good content and send that to people. And that gives them a reason to
1: be on your list. Today in Inboxing, Liz Willits. Copywriting and marketing strategy for SaaS. Welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. I'm your host, Hillel Berg. Inboxing is brought to you by the fine folks over at OnGage. OnGage is an online platform where you can send emails from, but what's really fantastic about it is that it integrates with a lot of SPs, meaning you connect it to a lot of different deliverability channels and, and see what's working best. But another thing that's great about it is that in terms of data integration and stuff, it's, it's fantastic. Really, you can all do almost anything and build fantastic journeys to increase engagement. And we'll talk all about that. Uh, With our today's guest, who's, I'm really honored to have her on. She's a superstar on LinkedIn, uh, as a copywriter, not all copy, general copy, marketing copy. Uh, She's the number one marketer on LinkedIn, according to her mom. And we'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) But um, I I just, I'm really, I don't say I can't believe it, but I'm really, really, I really thank her a lot for for showing up today. And um, so without uh, further ado, Please welcome Liz Willits. Hi, thank you so much for having me. For sure. Thank you for coming. Uh, really, really, really appreciate it, uh, which I hope I made clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so let's jump right into things. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, like where you grew up and, and, and your background? Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So I grew up in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania suburbs. So I'm about, you know, north of Philadelphia by a little bit uh, grew up there and then went out to school out in Western PA uh, to study English communications uh, studied that didn't you know knew knew I liked writing didn't quite know how I would use it but then ended up going into originally content marketing in saAS Tech and then you know went into copywriting from there and all kinds of anything written uh, digital marketing, uh, and worked in for different SaaS tech companies for, um, you know, around seven, eight years. Uh, and just for anyone listening, SaaS stands for software as a service. So, and I specialized in business to business, software as a service tech.
1: Okay, great. So did you always consider yourself a writer? or actually you went to school for, for English communications. So you must have known that was a strength or an interest at least.
0: Yeah, definitely at least an interest. I don't know if I always considered myself a writer. It was probably more post-college when I realized that. I think I was like many people who go into college and they're not quite sure what they're going to do with this degree. And then I fell into something like I absolutely love. I love tech. I love writing. And I love conveying. I love conveying a message in a really powerful way. And I, you know, I feel really fortunate that I kind of fell in to tech, um, which is such a fun growing field. And I'm so passionate about it. Yeah.
1: All right. Awesome. Are you always interested in copy and marketing per se?
0: Yeah, I guess copywriting, not initially. So, you know, I was always interested in content marketing and the education side of it. But I had this dislike for copywriting sometimes, at least like, and and now it's getting to be more, people are more interested in copywriting now. But when I started to first hear about copywriting, it was kind of a, like a salesy, greasy, kind of like, not cool thing. And um, my initial impression was, like, this is this, I I like content, like, I'm not going to go into copywriting. And then I started to see like the amazing power of copywriting and what it truly is—it's—it's it's sales in writing, um, and it can be so powerful, uh, and it can help in every part of your digital marketing. And it can also, if you bring copywriting into your content marketing, you can make your content way more persuasive, way more interesting. And and copywriting ultimately is about writing in a way that makes people want to read, and that is ultimately what it is. And so as any good writer that's what they should be wanting to do and copywriting just takes that to the next level where you're really studying how can you keep people reading and keep them interested in what you're writing
1: right right I had so many thoughts while you were talking <laughs> with like follow-up <laughs> questions uh, but I'm being a terrible interviewee now because I can't remember anything but I'll come back to it I guess um nice no, I see like in your content yeah you talk about like writing as a human being, like. Like so much copy, I think we were used to seeing is like so dry and not funny. Um, we'll talk about your sense of humor because I think you have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but we'll jump to the next question and we'll come back because we're touching on a lot of topics right now. So just, yeah. Okay. So how did you get to email? I mean, like.
0: Yeah. Um, so email was another thing that initially my perspective on it in my first technology job um, I did email marketing and I, I enjoyed it, but it was kind of like, eh, okay, email. There are cooler things. There are cooler marketing channels like social media and, you know, working on website copy. That's just much cooler than email. And um, then I got a job. My second job uh, was at Aweber and they're an international email marketing platform.
1: And And they're one of the early ones also.
0: Yeah. They actually like, I think they were founded the same year as Google. Um, So they were right there, Mm -hmm. right there with MailChimp as one of the first email marketing platforms. Um, I believe that they are the email platform to actually like invent email automation. So, man, I spent quite a few years there and really learned how powerful email is at um, getting engaging your audience in a place where they want to be engaged and how powerful permission-based email is and how mm-hmm. to do email right and how to do email wrong uh, and just how effective it is. Uh, especially in the, in, you know, in, in countries where email, most people use email. And uh, that's kind of how I fell in love with email marketing and became a proponent for it, started speaking about it at different (laughs) conferences and fighting for it because it is one of those marketing channels that comes off as either complex or um, spammy sometimes because so many people do it wrong, or there, there are so many people who, don't want to do email marketing because they think it's dead and it doesn't work which couldn't be further for the truth uh, further from the truth so i became a big proponent and advocate for it because you know working at aweber i could see firsthand how how many businesses uh, it made such a positive impact for and could kind of peek under the hood of uh, you know thousands <laughs> of email accounts and see what people are doing and seeing what what great marketers are doing as far as email
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Truth is, I discovered you on LinkedIn because of your post about, you know, email marketing is dead or you wrote, you didn't write email marketing is dead. You were like, yeah, co- coffee is dead or something like that. You compared it to like coffee and you wrote a whole post about how coffee is dead. Nobody drinks it. And like, obviously it caught people's attention because like, that's ridiculous. But then you're know, like, obviously, flip the switch and let's say email's not dead. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Because, you know, the the concept or the thing that the idea that email's dead is just so crazy. We're on our email all day long checking it. Now, maybe like the bad way of doing email is dead, um, like spamming and buying email lists. Because first off, that's just like ugh,
1: gross. That no, was I mean, never a like, good way to do things. Right.
0: Never <laughs> a good way to do things. And then on top of that, internet service providers are really cracking down on it. They've always been trying to crack on down on it, but they're getting really smart about making sure you can't easily spam. Um, so yeah, the you know bad email marketing is dead, but permission-based email marketing is so effective and people are in their inboxes all day long.
1: So did your role at AWeber, it sounded like you had a few jobs between there and you know, what you're, doing, you're being solo. Like did that prepare you really for becoming you know for going solo, or there was like a bunch of steps in between?
0: Yeah, I actually went straight from A. Weber to going solo, and it it definitely absolutely did. I'm very grateful for my time there, um, and you know I I definitely recommend to people if you want to go solo, spend some time at you know a, a company where you can learn a lot, and I definitely learned a lot there. Um, you know towards the end of my um, time at AWeber, I was speaking, going to conferences, speaking, speaking at webinars. I had started growing my LinkedIn audience and, you know, I'd had the opportunity to learn the ins, at, in at, ins and outs of, you know, digital marketing. And also, um, you know, I started taking on clients on the side. But on top of that, AWeber's customers, many of them are entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and I would see what they were doing and... <sighs> Be, was so inspired by it. Uh, I thought it was amazing, thought it was cool. And just by talking to them, got to delve into what it looks like to be an entrepreneur. And um, I also worked with agencies with, at my time at AWeber and saw that many agencies, um, and I think this is a result of of how agencies often scale really quickly, but many agencies weren't producing what I considered really high quality work. And um you know, it gave me the confidence to feel like I can go out there and produce really good copy. And there's a there's a market for that. There's a need for that because uh, it is hard to do that, especially for agencies who are squ- scaling very quickly.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I see that also from you know my inbox and and the sign-up emails. And yeah, the copy's not great. The design, everything is an image. There's a lot of things going wrong at a lot of these agencies. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pity. But it creates opportunity. Uh, So that's nice. All right. What kind of things do you find upsetting in the inbox? I mean,
0: Uh, yes, (laughs) well, absolutely. Number one is when I haven't opted into an email list and I end up getting an email from someone. And um, that's just really frustrating to me. And I've started to make a point of marking them as spam. And typically I, you know, I ignore most emails in my inbox if I'm not interested in them. I'm not like an inbox zero person or, you know, I'm not like regularly just (laughs) deleting emails every morning, but yeah, spam emails are very frustrating. But besides that, I, um, I hate when uh, people use subject lines that try to trick you into opening the email or subject lines that are just a pun. Like for instance, on, let's see, what would be like, you know, Black Friday in the U.S., Um, some kind of Black Friday pun. um, And uh, for international audiences, uh, Black Friday is like a huge sale day in the U.S. Um,
1: I think it's become international. I mean, I'm in Israel and Black Friday is definitely a thing here as well.
0: Okay, of course. <laughs> um, one of my least favorite holidays. So I was kind of hoping it wouldn't spread, um, because it's—I uh, don't know. There's just a lot of shady things that go on in Black Friday on Black Friday at least right. in the US.
1: So also, our companies come out of their like shell and, and love to send like tons of email where they haven't been like engaging anyone all year long. It's like, oh, now right. we're here and we have things to sell.
0: Right, we have things to sell, so pay attention to us. Um, but yeah, I, I really hate like puns where a subject line is just a pun
1: um can you give an example of that like i'm not sure i even i'm grasping what what you mean
0: (laughs) let me see if i can find one i had one written down the other day that uh that made me laugh i don't know if i'll be able to find it but um well if
1: it made you laugh i'm wondering why you hated it like you know well
0: it makes me laugh because instead of I didn't laugh because it was funny. I laughed Uh because instead of writing something that would actually get me to open the email, they wrote like this pun. Okay. All right. I found one.
1: All right. All right. We got a real example.
0: Yes. So around the Easter holidays in the U S there was this one subject line that was hop on in to then the company's name and it's a pun playing off rabbits hopping. Um, And um (laughs) What I don't like about that is it's burying everything that was actually in the email. So they were running a 50, 50% off sale on some on some key items at, in their store. But instead of saying that in the subject line, it was this pun that was like, hop on in. And the problem is that everyone else is also using these puns. So mm-hmm. nothing stands out in the inbox. And instead of putting something compelling or interesting in the subject line, it's just this, this uh, attempt to be witty. And I totally get it. I And I to be fair, I've written subject lines Like this in the past, (laughs) so no shade um, at anyone, but um, yeah, I guess you know, back to the point that the one of the it's not necessarily upsetting, but a pet peeve of mine is when you don't use a subject line well, and because it's so important uh, to getting people to open your email,
1: right? Yeah, and I think what you're pointing at, like they didn't do anything in that with that pun first of all, to make themselves stand up, but also to tell people what they're actually offering.
0: Right. And they had, they're like, they're burying the lead. If you have a 50% off sale on certain (laughs) items, why would your subject line not mention that? Um,
1: Right. Like even you want to go with the pun and mention 50% off, like hop into 50% savings. Like, oh, okay, I'll do that. You know?
0: like Right. Your subject line (laughs) should be, in most cases, the most interesting thing you can say you know, in it be like your hook,
1: no, like the, yeah,
0: it's your hook, and you know that's one of the things when there's when there's no hook in any kind of copy, uh, whether it's email or something else, it's definitely a pet peeve of mine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I use I don't normally write with hooks, <laughs> but I don't know if you noticed this, but I copied your technique. Like I did a email, but I you know I wrote the copy for our talk the first time or the second time, so we had it a few times, <laughs> but I did that thing like. Liz Willis has 50,000 plus followers on LinkedIn, but that's not the most interesting thing about her.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's all good.
1: I <laughs> Well, I copied it. You did it about, you know, I don't remember what the thing was, but one of your posts like did exactly that formula. Right.
0: Yeah. If great hooks are uh, one of my favorite type of hooks are things that are surprising information that people are kind of like, what? And uh-huh because you Just need to stop. stop them in their tracks from what they're doing. And so surprising or counterintuitive info mm-hmm. is
1: very effective. All right. Awesome. All right. What was your biggest marketing mistake? Huh. Let's see. I feel like honestly, I feel like the difference between like experienced marketers and non-experienced marketers is that we have mistakes. Like we know what we've done in the past so we don't do them again.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and I've sent emails with typos in them. I I, I would say probably... The biggest pattern, like or the biggest, the mistake that bothered me the most that I've done are sending emails that shouldn't have been sent out or weren't ready to be sent out. Because as someone who's an, an email pro or portrays himself as one, um, you know, that it's not a good look. Um, and also emails are pretty irrevocable in most cases. Once you send them, they're sent
1: right mean, this you edit and, after that
0: yeah. right and you know <laughs> and your and how people interact with that email affects your deliverability rate and your reputation and so i would say biggest mistake you know one time i sent an email that shouldn't have been sent to a very massive email list very massive um <laughs> and uh, that was not a fun day um so you know to turn that back for the audience listening um, we all make mistakes. Email, unfortunately, when you make a mistake in email, it um, it's uh, pretty noticeable. Um, but I see email mistakes all the time. It happens. Um, all the time. But do your best to test emails with multiple people looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, you're using a platform like Litmus to you know, see how it's looking in different inboxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I and mean, one of my biggest... Most successful post on LinkedIn was about an email mistake from the New York Times because they sent the follow up like ten minutes later, but the follow up was terrible. Also, like it just didn't like it, it. wasn't clear what happened. Unfortunately, also the context was like somebody died, like a, a celebrity had died, and like the first one had the wrong link in it, but the second one didn't just like copy that subject line. There was like someone died. It was like I don't remember what it was, but I wrote a post about it. And I was like, what was going on in that room? you yeah. sent out the email but on the wrong link like oh no you know right again like this panic set in that we had to get out another email really fast and like it went out like badly so
0: right you know, and
1: message was like yeah we're all human breathe you know so you know link you know just when in that situation like just do like parentheses like link fixed. same subject line so like people in their inbox will have like the original email like the next email oh okay they, went on the wrong link. Okay. Well, I'll check it again.
0: Right. Um, but that yeah, really so, resonated. Oh, huge. Yeah. Sometimes with mistakes too, I've seen, you know, I've had teams make mistakes and then the apology emails that we sent out with the accurate information, like the open rates were insane. Um <laughs> And so sometimes you can, if you handle a mis- I'm not saying to intentionally make mistakes and then, mm-hmm. you know, pretend to apologize, but sometimes when a mistake happens and you feel like you know, oh man, this is the worst day ever. You can, mm-hmm. if you're, you're being strategic in many cases, you can um, turn it around and, uh, right. you know, you can
1: turn it to a huge win. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking of wins, all right. what was your biggest win?
0: I had a couple, a couple viral LinkedIn posts that I was very proud of. You know, those for sure I consider a big win. I don't know if I consider them my biggest win, but you know, Those were great. And I had a couple of LinkedIn posts that didn't go viral, but helped me get big contracts with clients. So those tend to be the ones that actually lead to contracts typically don't go viral. And they're typically a more informative, uh, detailed post about my area of practice, um, copywriting. So I'd definitely say those biggest, those are big wins, Um, but the thing I'm most proud of is starting my own business and being able to market it successfully. So I think that was my biggest marketing win for me personally, the thing I'm I'm most satisfied with because I just love having
1: my own business. Email marketers who run high volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. And that's why OnGage made sure it's easy to act on, optimize, and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hillelberg.com OnGage and discover what OnGage can do for you. What do you think was the biggest contributor like, to the success of your business so far?
0: being able to write copy and being able to write copy. And that was, you know, probably the biggest thing for me and being able to build my LinkedIn audience, but it ultimately comes back to being able to write copy, understanding content marketing. And I'm also insanely competitive. Um, so that definitely, that definitely helps having, you know, being competitive, being competitive can be my biggest strength. And also if anyone who's competitive, you know, it can be a weakness too, but uh Yeah, I would say being able to write copy, though, was a big factor in, you know, being successful and then taking risks, the risk to start my own business. I was I was scared to do that. And it was my best career decision I ever made uh, so far.
1: All right. Cool. Is it I mean, I wonder if I put this in, but. Yeah. Like how much goes into like your LinkedIn calendar? Like, the, is it monthly? Is it like, is it, like how planned is it? I mean, it's, it's clearly very planned, right? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends sometimes, <laughs> you know, I think there's people on LinkedIn who are extraordinarily planned or at least portray themselves that way. Right. And so I try to be very planned and write my posts ahead of time and set a few hours together and then stack my posts in my social media scheduler and have a theme for the week or theme for the month, theme days. Uh, And those things are all very helpful. But there are still times where I'm posting that morning and and writing the post Mm -hmm. that morning because I might have had an insane week. And so I don't want to tell people oh, you have to be this perfect planner and, Mm -hmm. you know, have everything perfect. I I just think, you know, you need to show up. And whether that's you plan all the time or whether that's, hey, this morning or this evening, I just need to get a post out there and I'm going to do the best post I possibly can. You know, both work. And I know people who use different methods. And so I don't want to prescribe to people that you have to be this planner. To make it to work. To be successful. Uh, right. But it is helpful. Um, I find it helpful to write, and it's faster if you can sit down for a period of time and write a bunch of posts because all the context switching, all the jumping between this task and that task, and then to have to interrupt, right. it was, it's a lot. Yeah. And to have to interrupt every single day with, uh, oh, now I'm going to write a LinkedIn post.
1: Yeah, um, no, definitely. That's, it's not uh, the
0: best use of your time, but if that's how you have to do it, do it. But if you can chunk your work so that you're doing all of your LinkedIn posts or all of your Twitter posts in one day a month, you're going to be much more efficient. Cool. All
1: right. Yeah. All right. So I love your headline. It's not just the copy. It's the image with the copy. Because, you know, people don't know, like her LinkedIn image is like she's looking like she's this, the vice president of the United States. <laughs> I mean, if she was Liz Willis. <laughs> but it's like a strong pose, she's got her arm up, like, a tough woman, right? You're all a mess. <laughs> and then right. the headline is, Liz is the number one marketer to follow on LinkedIn. And then it says, you know, signed by her mom. And it just makes you laugh. And yeah, like, so do you try to do stuff like that? I always like this kind of like, you know, two sides of the coin thing, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, yes. I, first off, I love humor. And I think we need more humor in marketing and that it can be very effective, But also there are a lot of influencers now, right? Or what we call influencers. I kind of hate that term, but it is what it is. Influencers, thought leaders, people who have an audience. And I feel that people are getting frustrated with how many of these influencers portray their lives as perfect, like all the time. (laughs) They're perfect. They have, they're making millions of dollars. They have five cars. Um, They only work two hours a a day. You did a funny post
1: about that.
0: Right. And I I think people are frustrated Mm -hmm. by it and I'm, I'm frustrated by it. So I think it's kind Mm -hmm. of funny to have this like, you know, testimonial that's saying how great you are. And then to say like my mom, Oh, it's from my mom. Only my mom really (laughs) would say something like that. But I also, the inspiration for it was I saw someone with a quote like this in their headline, a testimonial like this in their headline that was real. And, my initial thought was like, oh, man, I wish I had a testimonial like that. And uh, <laughs> then I decided, OK, well, my mom would definitely give me that <laughs> testimonial. So I'm just going to put that in there.
1: So that's kind of how it how it happened. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. What were you thinking when you left A AWeber? I mean, I guess you kind of mentioned it before. Like you saw there was an opportunity.
0: Yeah, I was also thinking, oh, crap. What have I just done? <laughs> because it was an interesting the way it went down was interesting. So the day I, I had gotten another job offer. And for me, what would have been a dream job offer—it was like a, a head of content position at a unicorn tech company, and it was just an amazing team. I would have been working with brilliant, brilliant people, and it had—it was everything, you know. It had the salary, the it was, it was everything. So it was a dream offer, and I'd gotten that, and I'd been thinking about you know, I've been planning to start my own business. I had the date on my calendar when I was starting my own business and quitting and COVID had hit and delayed that because I was waiting to see what was going to happen with COVID. But then I got this job offer and I basically made the decision, okay, I'm leaving my current company, you know, because this is, I have two great opportunities. I'm taking one or the other. So which one is it going to be? And, um, I was 50-50 on it and the, the security uh, of a job and yes. knowing that you can be successful because you've done it before was really tempting and so within like 24 hours I turned down that job, gave notice at Aweber and you know I, I kind of felt sick like and kind of wondered if I was insane. and. Uh, well, yeah. th- was it
1: because you had, like, a conviction? Like, you think you can do this? Like, or you wanted that challenge? Like, and you said I you're competitive. It- so, like, did you know someone else that had opened an agency or, or like, a copywriting... You know, I hadn't.
0: Idea? I didn't. And people told me <laughs> not to do it. Like, there were people who told me to do it, and then there were my... I had fan members who told me not to do it. Like, don't start your own <laughs> business. Like, we're in the middle... We're at the... It was the beginning of COVID. Like, you know, don't start uh-huh. your own business. We don't know what's going to happen here. And... um yeah, it was. I it was for me. It was thinking through. This is my dream. Am I going to chase something that's good, or am I going to chase something that's great? And will I, at the end of you know a year, if this fails, how will I feel? Versus how will I feel always wondering, what if I'd done what I really wanted to do? And the the the, te- the tech company job, the job offer I had, it was you know, it was one where to get the, um, the equity promised, I would have had to stay there many years. And so it was, you know, to make that deal completely worth it, I would have had to stay there for quite a few years. And so I thought about like, okay, when I'm done with this and I'm at this age, Mm
1: -hmm. am I going
0: to be regretting or am I going to be happy? Like, like the one was certain, certain money, um and you know a good job but the other was something I it was my dream and so that's kind of what got me over the hump being like okay so what if I fail at least I will be proud of myself and I won't have Mm -hmm. to wonder all my life you know what
1: if I had done that
0: what if I'd done that yeah
1: all right cool how do you find topics you know to post about I mean you post daily right Like, like at least five times a week
0: yeah. I, I, my goal is five times a week. I'm not always perfect. And mm-hmm. I would tell everybody, you don't need to be perfect either. So if you miss it's a, a day, great, that's it's a different. great
1: rule of, of marketing in general. Like Right. Just, yeah. Just some started. days,
0: yeah. some days like, you know, we're human. And especially if you're running this LinkedIn or this social platform on your own and you don't have a social team, um, you're going to miss a day and that's okay. Just get back to it when you get back to it. And sometimes you might miss a week because you just don't feel inspired. Okay, we'll get back to it. But try to post as much as you can. How do I find topics? So a lot of different ways. One uh, big one is, it's really about understanding the audience and understanding what's frustrating people what they're struggling with, and that could be like, I can source topics via that way by understanding what I struggled with and what I was frustrated with when I was working in-house at tech companies as a marketer, what I'm frustrated with now running my own business and you know frustrations and point, pain points and thinking how your social posts can either make someone feel less alone because they realize they're not mm-hmm. the only person dealing with this, or they can actually help them solve that pain point. It's the most powerful topics on LinkedIn are going to be ones that, you know, help people solve their pain points, whatever those are, or get closer to the transformation they're seeking in their lives. So you can do that via social listening, seeing what people are frustrated by, via talking to your customers, via, you know, talking about your own frustrations and thinking through your own frustrations. And also a, a good thing to look at is if something is a popular topic, on social media already, you should cover that topic with your own spin because you know, there's an audience that's Mm -hmm. listening and that's interested. So if you see someone on LinkedIn post about, you know, email subject line length and wow, the post has hundreds of comments, you know, hundreds of likes and reactions. Okay. You know, right away that this is a topic of interest to people. And Mm -hmm. I would recommend having a series of posts that, um, We'll, we'll spin off of that with your own, not copying someone, but with your own unique mm-hmm. spin on it and your own unique information. Because one of the challenges on any social media platform is knowing what topic is going to be interesting to people. And so if you see something that's already interesting to people, that's a great you know way to validate that. Because sometimes I post stuff and I think it's going to be interesting to people and it's mm-hmm. crickets. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can find topics that people are interested in just keep posting about them in different ways. One that I post about a lot is copy length, like short versus long copy. Uh-huh. And I, yeah. And I post about it to the point sometimes where I'm like, people got to be annoyed about hearing <laughs> about short versus long copy. But there are all different kinds of angles to write about that. There are different you know, insights to write about that very topic. And I know it's a topic of interest to people. And uh, when I read copywriting books from like 50 years ago, it was a topic in those books too. (laughs) Short versus long copy has been something we've been fascinated by for such a long time. And that's still the case. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel uh, to write social posts. Tap into what you know people are already interested in.
1: All right. Awesome. Uh, this is sort of the same questions. If you want to just skip it, you can. But, like, where do you get copy ideas? I mean, I guess it also refers to not just social posts, but, like, I guess also in marketing and stuff. Like
0: that. Yeah. And one thing that I would recommend to people, especially if you're a newer copywriter, is getting inspiration from things that work and that have worked. Again, this is not plagiarizing, it's not like taking mm-hmm. somebody's idea and stealing it word for word. But if something works really well, look at that piece of copy and analyze why is this working? And how can I psychologically? Why is it impacting people? How can I? What are some ways that I could have my own unique spin on this and use this idea? And that way, you're not reinventing the wheel again, you know, you're sourcing from what's already what, what already has worked. It's amazing when you can come up with something that you came up with out of nowhere that works brilliantly, but it's really hard to do that. And so, I would say get inspiration from what's already working out there. Sometimes you're going to stumble on a brilliant idea on your own. That's awesome. But, uh, you know, you can get a lot of great ideas from what's already out there and what's already working. And even ads that are like 50 years old, you can steal inspiration from or get inspiration from.
1: Right. That's a good point. Also, you can look at like Pinterest boards of like copy examples and, and just I know inboxes, your own inbox. Sign up for as many emails as you can and just mm-hmm. notice what's working, what catches you. Right. Um all right. So yeah. What brands, you know, do you, do you like opening their emails? You love reading their copy. Like you fight like their smashing it.
0: So I really like morning brew, their newsletter, their copy. I, I really like what they do and the skin I typically like as well. But um, as far as really good copy out there, I would say, I mean, I love following a very good copy. They have their, his news, his newsletter, Eddie's newsletter is so fascinating and so interesting. So I would definitely recommend checking out that. It's a very unique newsletter format that um is really smart. He uses growth loops to drive people from LinkedIn to email, from LinkedIn to email. And um, yeah, I think he does I've never really heard of job. it. So
1: yeah, I'm curious to check yeah, it out. Yeah, check it out. Very good copy. All right. What are the keys to a great subject line in Preheader?
0: A hook. So some kind of hook and there are all different kinds of ways to write hooks, but if you think about your subject line as a one-two, is your subject line and your pre-header as a one-two punch, like how can they work off each other to convince people to open that email? And often I see pre-headers that are absolutely wasted space or they're just a repeat of the subject line, like another way of phrasing the subject line. And um, that's a shame because it should be, that's really important landscape. And it should be, you know, one, two punch to get people to open your emails. There are a couple of things that you want to keep in mind of subject lines. A lot of people are opening from mobile devices. So you need to see how that looks like when it's in the, in the inbox of a mobile device, because I think you have, I think it's subject lines cut off at between 30 and 40 characters on a mobile device and um, you really need to understand how that looks versus how it looks on a desktop. And keep in mind that you don't want to get your subject line cut off at an odd place. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes you might want to really test the short subject lines and see how those work. But yeah, it's all about a hook. Catching somebody's attention with something interesting, surprising, compelling, or just a really great offer. But yeah, you definitely want to catch their attention.
1: So. If somebody wanted to really like step up their copy game, like what would you suggest?
0: Yeah, really study study copywriting. (laughs) Study the current great copywriters out there. There are a lot of really great copywriters right now. Study what they're doing, read all their content, and analyze it. See, okay, why is this working here? Why is this working there? Keep a swipe file of like all the interesting copy you see so you can go back and study it. Study the greats, the great copywriters. Like Ogilvy and uh, you know the and, and some of the the copywriters from the 1900s that were just really phenomenal. And then yeah, take courses from great copywriters. I would say qualify or make sure they're actually a good copywriter before you take their course, <laughs> and that they actually practice what they preach. But study it and study. I, I you know I'm I'm a copywriter. I'm studying copywriting all the time. And looking at something, oh wow, this 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 copy really worked. Why did it work? And just really analyzing it, and then trying to uh, repeat that uh, in a unique, different way.
1: All right, So speaking of copywriters to follow, you know, who are you following, or who should who do you think we should be following? Who are your favorite copywriters?
0: Um, Eddie, a very good copy, and then I also follow, follow um, Copy Hackers, Joanna Weeb really love copy hackers. And then um, let's see, those are my two main modern day copywriters that I that I follow. Um, so yeah, I give me.
1: copy hackers a lot of credit. I mean, I don't know if it's them. I don't know, I kind of feel like they made it kind of cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: they, they did. They, they brought copywriting back again and made people realize how effective it is and how transformative it is for businesses. And, you know, also how bad at it so many businesses are. No offense, but like many, no offense to these businesses listening, but it's, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's just, it's a reality. Like we need to bring it, we need to bring it back. Um, So many, so many companies aren't leveraging conversion copy or good copy and um, they're missing out on a lot of customers and revenue and sales because of that.
1: Uh, What are your favorite copy tools or books? As far as, let me think about tools.
0: I use Notion to document ideas when I have them. So I would just say some kind of platform to document your ideas as soon as you have them so that you have a a list of those ideas. And then sometimes I've used the Hemingway editor um, to view copy from a clarity perspective. Hemingway editor is, uh, you can paste, it's free, you can paste your, your copy or your content in there and it'll give you feedback on how easy it is to read, um, and how you can improve it. So I yeah, I don't use that every time I write anymore just because uh, I've learned how to write in that way without it, but it can provide some good feedback, especially if you're newer to copywriting and newer to writing in general. So I'd recommend that. As far as books, I have a few good ones back here. <laughs> um, scientific advertising is good. Making ads pay is good. The Adweek Copywriter's Handbook, I really like. I just read the Halbert Copywriting Method Part Three It's on editing, so that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. There are AI tools for copywriters out there today. Do you think they have a place in you know on the copywriter's you know like shelf or like I mean like no humans writing for humans is, is nothing but.
0: Yeah, I absolutely do think they have a, a, a place on. A cop- I don't use one personally. I've I've checked out a couple of them, and I think they have very helpful tools, and that they can be very useful. I don't think they'll ever entirely replace a copywriter, and I don't feel um, I'm, I'm a total advocate for them. I don't feel threatened by them at all because <laughs> I, you know, I just copy is one of those things that is extremely artistic in a scientific way. Like you know, I call I say copy is a science, but it takes it's not it's not like a logical one to one thing all the time. Like oh this and then this um, and I and I think that's how AI is getting you know obviously it's supposed to be an intelligent and really smart but we're still in the early stages of of what AI can do and uh, I don't think it'll ever I think AI is going to be very effective for very rational logical things but sometimes <laughs> copy is so er, er, like it doesn't initially make sense why it's working but I think copywriters absolutely should use these AI copy tools where they find them helpful, but I don't think they're gonna ever replace
1: a copywriter. Okay. All right. How important do you think is it is for brands to develop like a single voice that they use across all their channels?
0: Uh so maybe this is an unpopular opinion. I I I don't think you should have a drastically different voice on different social platforms uh, and on different marketing channels, but Sometimes I think brands worry so much about voice and not enough about actually putting something interesting and compelling out there.
1: Right. And avoid- or man, like, voice is dry and dead. So that's what right. our sound like. Right,
0: And the voice is kind of like a cop out for doing something actually interesting. And I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, that's not our voice. And, uh-huh. you know, basically they have this very boring corporate <laughs> way of writing that's like so dry and and terrible to read and that's their voice as they describe (laughs) it. Like they say that that's their voice. And my reaction to that is like, why? Okay. So you're intentionally choosing to have a terrible, boring voice. (laughs) Like, why would you do that? Like, that's terrible. Um, So I do think having a consistent voice is important, but I wouldn't be so tied to voice that you're unwilling- Right. And if your voice is terrible, change your voice. Like, (laughs) um, you know, Uh, so I guess that would be my response to that. I I think sometimes marketers are so much like, oh, we need to develop our brand voice. And I think it would be better if they worked on developing their brand story and what makes them interesting and what makes them compelling. And when you have a good brand story and you have brand values, it naturally builds a voice. Because if if X is your value, you're not going to say why. Um, because this is your value over here. So I would say that that's my
1: advice. Okay. All right. What are your top tips uh, to creating like a great email strategy?
0: Uh, one, you know, give a reason for people to subscribe, whether that's creating a great lead magnet or sending a regular, really valuable newsletter um, that people actually want to be on your email list to get your content. So, first off, you need to start creating great content that people want, and that gives them a reason to subscribe. Um, That's number one. You're not going to have an email list unless that happens. And alongside of that goes, uh, you know, making sure that your entire email list is permission-based and uh, not, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. opting people in against their will. So third, I guess I would say is regularly clean your email list. Um, It's going to help with your email deliverability. And then there are just people on your list who aren't opening, who are, um, you know, hurting your deliverability and they're costing you money. And then four, keep in mind a mobile. I know like that seems like it should just be something everybody does, but they don't. And let me think, uh, what would be five? Send regularly. This is a relationship. Send content regularly Mm -hmm. if you can. And that's hard to do, especially if you're a small team, but um, find a way to, to send content regularly. But number one is just, you need to create good content and send that to people. And that gives them a reason to be on your list.
1: Yeah. All right. Awesome. That was, that was great. All right. What are the top things to avoid? Buying email lists. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Don't do
0: it. And again, you know, when I say that to people, I have many marketers who say to me, really? Like who's still (laughs) buying, who's still buying email lists and There are a
1: lot of people. Tons, tons, tons. There's billion dollar companies collecting people's information and selling it.
0: Right. It's, yeah. and and so I I hate it from multiple levels. I don't think it works because, you know, it's like a shot in the dark. Maybe it'll work. Um, I think it does work to a degree.
1: What's that? I think it does work to a degree. I mean, I think if it totally didn't work, it would die. It would kill itself.
0: You know, so it works right. for people. So, I just, I just have such a deep hatred of it uh, because I just <laughs> ethically I think it's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I don't want to be. I don't want my email list sold. Nobody wants. Who, who, who wants to raise their hand and be like, oh yeah, sell my email list <laughs> or sell my email address? Um, so yeah, That's I just, right. I, I don't. You know, I, I know it works uh, because you know people do it, but it is a shot in the dark. Um, well do people ask are,
1: you to write content for cold emails like have you have you been approached <laughs> oh yeah, to write emails oh yeah
0: yeah and i i say no it, and it depends on the scenario like if it's if you're putting these emails into an email marketing platform and sending that's where i i draw my line but like if you're you know sales reps if you're a sales rep and you're doing one-on-one cold outreach to people that's very different because you're Ideally, you're adding some level of personalization there, and also it's not a mass email.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to do some cold email for a client. and First off, though, like the list he gave me, it's, it's probably not the people he wants to talk to. Like his odds of converting them are like nil. Right. Um, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> but I <told> him <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's no, tough. But The work is very tough, meaning like I'm doing a lot of work to make it extremely personal. You know, like, I really know who they are and what their background is and how long they are working at that company. And, you know, so my subject advisors are like, congratulations, you've been there for 15 years. (laughs) You know, like, so just open it and then like maybe hear about, you know, what we're offering. But at least like I'm talking to them and not just like, you know, like, I mean, the company previous experience was just like, send a lot of email and hope for the best.
0: Right. Yeah. The, what I'm, what I don't love is like the email blast idea where you're, getting a purchase list of like 10,000 people and like blasting them with the same message. Um, yeah, oh, but I mean, sure. cold email, cold one-on-one email outreach is a skill, so props to anyone who does it.
1: Yeah, whoever. and she's uh, she's also on LinkedIn. She's, she has a course and there's a few people they are mastering the cold email. Um, we've actually reached the end and it's just a final thoughts kind of uh, session.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as email and social and anything, great content is going to win. And so that would be my final f- thought like, find a way to write great, valuable content and solve people's struggles and pain points. And that's going to be successful and it's going to work. And I do have a free guide to email open rates if anyone wants to check it out. If you go to lizwillets.com, the uh, guide is there. Okay.
1: <laughs> there you go. So pick up the guide at lizwillets.com. But uh, that's our show for today. Thank you anyone who popped in. and thanks again to Ron Cage. We love you.